welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're going to continue our series called The Mixed Tape, which is a series you have when you're not having a series. Um, basically, what we thought we would do before we get into our next series is... Um, have a, a bit of free-balling and a little bit of hearing from different people on different subjects. And so we've branded this uh, non-series The Mixed Tape. And uh, I quickly explained what the tape is because many people here only know iPads and iPhones and iPods. But back in the day, we had a little thing called a cassette tape. And the cassette tape... Um, was a contraption that you'd put into a cassette player and pray to God that it didn't get chewed up, basically. And uh, invariably, you get a blank cassette tape, you'd put it in the cassette player and you'd record some of your favourite songs on the radio and again, pray to God that the DJ wouldn't talk too soon uh, before the end of the song and all the rest of it. And then you'd kind of have a tape full of all your favourite songs. Um, That was the intention of this non-series. That was the intention of our mixtape. Having said that, we started last week talking about risk. And uh, what I didn't know is that God was speaking to Pete about the very same subject. And so he shared on risk Sunday night too. And what you may not have known is when I shared last week, I didn't finish what I had to say. And I really feel to keep going with this subject. Under the mixtape banner. But let me just say this. There are some mixtapes. And may, maybe it was just me who did this. But there are some tapes that you didn't put all sorts of songs on. You just put one song on. Because you loved it so much. And you recorded that one song as many times as you could on the one tape. Did anyone else do that? I, I want to tell you, this is pathetic. But Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of Heart... I got on nine times on one cassette tape. It was awesome. I just kept playing. Once upon a time, there was light in my life. I played it over and over again. And so this mixtape is a little bit like that. It's a tape with the one message on it, okay? (laughs) But three parts. So we're up to Risky Business Part three, that's what I'm trying to say, okay? So please don't hold that against me and hopefully you can uh, bear with us as we kind of uh, do our best to work with God on what we feel is best for us as a church at any given time. So that was our intention, to have a very various messages with various preachers. Um, as it is, we're on the same subject and you've got me again, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, I've got him again. Let me just start by reading the scripture that I read last week, and it's found in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 1. It says, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority, which is flippin' awesome, to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's awesome, don't you think? He told them this. Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no tunic, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and you will leave that town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing the people everywhere, which is great. Basically, we see from that portion of scripture that Jesus gave the disciples power and authority, but very little else. 
No money, no food, no accommodation, and no guarantee of success. He says, if someone doesn't welcome you, if someone doesn't receive you, if someone doesn't like what you say, you mean, Jesus, you're going to ask us to go to certain people and they may not even like what we have to say? Really? Really? And then he tells them what to do. Just shake the dust off your feet in protest against them. No guarantee of success. No money. No accommodation. No food. No chariot. No camel. Nothing. The amazing thing is that the disciples still went. With no guarantee of success, with no money, accommodation or food, they just went. And I said last week that following Jesus is both wonderful and terrifying at the same time because following Jesus takes faith and faith always involves risk. And at the heart of this message is the fact that you and I must get comfortable taking risks. And I say that because we live in a culture that has an aversion toward risk taking. In actual fact, I'll go as far to say this, that we honour OHS and political correctness more than we honour God's word. Those things are not only king in our life, but they become and take the place of God in our life and it's hurting the church. And to prove my point and to prove that it's not just my issue, I want you to turn your attention to the screens and take a look at Steve Hughes' point of view when it comes to OHS. You like that? Yeah. Common sense. Yeah. I grew up in the days before I eat this. I grew up in the days of common sense. And the problem with common sense is it's just not that common anymore, unfortunately. Hence why we need to talk about the things that we're talking about. In actual fact, Steve Hughes goes on in his little routine to say that OHS is the oppression of our physical movement so that we can't do anything without permission from the state. And political correctness is the oppression of our intellectual movements so that no one says anything anymore in case somebody gets offended. And he has a laugh at those that get offended. We're so precious these days. You don't want to say anything or do anything in case you offend somebody. But offence is subjective. How's this for a thought? I get offended that people get offended. Your offence offends me. So where do we stop? Where does all this stuff stop? Tony said this, that offended me. Well, that offends me that I offended you. Got it? Where does it stop? It gets ridiculous. And so we need common sense. We need God's word. We need truth to set us free. It's not your truth that will set you free. It's not your offense that will set you free. It's not your point of view that will set you free. It's the truth. And Jesus came to give us the truth so that we could live in perfect peace and freedom. And so we want to look at some things about risk. We highlighted two of them last week. And the first one was that God designed us to live with risk. I said that God himself is not so much a risk taker because he is omniscient, he is all-knowing, but he has created us for risk. And I believe one of the key reasons he chose Peter is because Peter was a risk taker. 
When nobody else would speak up, Peter was speaking up. When nobody else would get out of the boat, Peter got out of the boat. God designed us to live with risk. Secondly, risk is what grows and shapes us. The early church took massive risks and it had massive growth as well. So you need to risk because risk is what shapes you and it's what grows you. And Jesus knew this and that's why he never made it easy for the disciples to follow him. And I think we need to take a leaf out of Jesus' life. We need to take a leaf out of Jesus' words. He never made it easy for his disciples. And I believe herein lies one of the biggest problems that we face today, that we have a culture of paranoid parents breeding cotton wool kids. And I want to be more specific this morning about what I mean by that. More specifically, I believe our kids are overmothered and underfathered. And as a result, we're breeding a bunch of little wimps. We've got little girls that are girls. We've got little boys that are girls. And it's creating problems for us today. I know I often go on about my dad, who celebrated his 77th birthday recently, which is awesome, which marks the fact that he's been in the gym for 60 years of his life. 60 years. You say, how do I get to be like Keith at 77? Get to the gym and do it for 60 years. You might just end up like Keith. But why I appreciate my dad so much And why I love him and I thank God for him is that he let us do dangerous things, but not sinful things. And there is a difference between dangerous things and sinful things. Dad let us do some incredibly dangerous things. At a very early age, he let us all as brothers buy pocket knives. We had a pocket knife from as young as I can remember. Swiss Army pocket knife. The one with a blade to cut this, a blade to cut that, something to screw this and something. We even had a corkscrew. I don't know why we would need a corkscrew as a six-year-old, but we had one. Just in case we ever wanted to take a cork out of someone's wine bottle. I don't know. And Dad showed us, to the best of his ability, what to do with that knife. So he wasn't reckless. He he showed us how to uh, use that knife. But invariably, you still cut yourself which became part of the game. We'd measure our cuts and our bruises and say, well, look at this cut I've got here, look at this cut. We've got scars today because of that knife that was given to us at an early age. I thank God for that. I thank God that Dad allowed us to build cubby houses, cubby houses that weren't safe. Probably one of the best things that we ever built as a young man growing up, or as brothers growing up, was this cubby that was built with leftover pavers. Dad had been doing some pavings and some leftover ones, and we thought, oh, we could use them to make a cubby house. And so we just grabbed them and put them behind the shed and, and started to put them down and, 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 and lay them. And, and we're not stupid. We, we realised that they wouldn't be safe just on top of each other. We knew it needed some adhesion and some glue and some mortar. We needed something. And so we had mud. And so we just got mud and put it in there and put the bricks down on the mud. We're not stupid. And we build it probably yay high. And then we thought, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit low. But we didn't have any more bricks. And so we got inside our very cool, funky, low cubby house and, and dug a hole. 
Then we needed a roof and we got some galvanised iron and threw that on the top. But, you know, that's not very safe because it could blow off. So we threw some rocks on top of the corrugated iron just to hold it down. And Dad was there giving his approval. It was dangerous. It wasn't the safest thing that has ever been built in this planet. But nonetheless, he let us do it. He let us climb down rock faces. Some of you will know this point because you've been there recently. But near Streaky Bay is a place called Point Labat where the seals swim. Those that were there recently viewed it from the top because you're not allowed to climb down there. What you don't know is when we were kids, you were not allowed to climb down there. There was a fence and a sign that says, do not go down there. But dad climbed over the fence and thought, we can make that. (laughs) And proceeded to terrify us as we climbed down and had one of the greatest days of our life, swimming with the seals, not realising that seals are shark food, but anyway, (laughs) some of the greatest places are at the end of roads least travelled. And he was there giving his approval. When it came to spiders, whenever we saw a spider, he would say, they are more afraid of you than you are of them. Didn't always believe it. But the point behind that is dad didn't want us to grow up afraid of everything. I've got people that are so afraid. People are afraid of dogs, cats, mice, birds, spiders, flies, mozzies, whatever. Where does it stop? We used to go to some of the remotest places, which means there were snakes. And instead of having a snake ruin our day and keep us housebound, Dad would say, just go out there and make lots of noise. And so we'd be like walking through the long grass, which is far better than staying inside all day. Risky stuff, dangerous stuff. But it's put something in my DNA, it's put something in my thinking, it's put something in the way we've raised our kids. We've got a swimming pool and there's no way I wanted any of our kids to drown on our watch. And I just needed them water safe. I didn't need them to be able to swim the 100 metres in a, in a record. I just needed them water safe. And I thought, the only way I can teach them how to, how to get to the edge of the pool is throw them in. And so I used to just pick them up. I mean, they'd be 18 months. I'd just throw them in and just, just watch them. And they'd sink and they'd just... And now, if, if they weren't going to make it, I could get in there and help them out. But our kids learnt to be water safe before most kids. And I needed that. And you said, what, you'd watch them, and they look like they're struggling, but I wonder if they can make it. I wonder if they can, no, they're not going to make it. We better get in there. <laughs> it explains our kids today, I'm sure. Like of oxygen to the brain. <laughs> or something, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm not too sure. But we did. We used to throw them into the pool. Part of us going to Madagascar recently and having a dads and lads trip was with that in mind, to have some danger Some supervised danger. And it was fantastic. We went over there as a church. A number of men with their sons from this church met up with a number of men and their sons from another church in South Africa. We flew to Madagascar and uh, every kid had a pocket knife. Every kid had a stick. And by the end of it, that uh, stick was sharp as and they were running around with a sharp knife and a sharp stick. It was dangerous. 
They're running up and down hills, and, and, and you know, they'd, they'd run, and they had this natural water slide, big rock, and they'd be sliding down with the knife in one hand, with the stick in the other, <laughs> sliding down. And they all came home. Did they get bruised? Yes. Did some of them get cut? Yes. Did they have the time of their lives? Absolutely. Giving them memories. It bothers me today that our kids are not going to have anything to remember other than PlayStation or Xbox. When we were kids, we didn't have COD. We didn't play COD, Call of Duty. We played armies outside in our gear. We had, we had a friend of, of mum and dad's who was a seamstress and she made us little, we, we had all these little, these, these army outfits from, you know, one that fitted us when we were six, one that fitted us when we were eight, one that fitted us when we were ten. And we just had all these army outfits. We had all the army gear. We'd go to the army disposals and we'd get hats and we'd get belts and we'd get canteens and we'd just, you know, one team would go around the back and we'd get kids from all over the place. And then we'd go advance on the, 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 the opposition around the back of the house. And the, the house was like, ah, nah, 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 nah. you're dead. No, I got you for no one. And then there'd be a fight. <laughs> then we'd make up. Okay, now it's our turn to go. You go in the front and we'll go around the back. Ah. Anyone else know what I'm on about? We weren't watching television. COD. I mean, are you kidding me? It bothers me what some of our young people are going to tell they're young people when they're older. What's it going to sound like? The great story about David and Goliath is that it was dangerous. Can you imagine the story of David and Goliath if David got there, saw the giant, got afraid and went home? The story of David and Goliath doesn't sound so inspiring anymore. And I can't help but feel that that's what we're doing. And so men, I need you to step up. I need you to grab hold of your kids, both the boys and the girls, and start loving them. Start leading them. Start showing them a life of adventure. Start showing them something beyond just safety of OH&S and political correctness. They need some memories in their world. And I thank God for mums. I do. My wife is an incredible mum. And for the most part, she's not a girly girl. And so she doesn't panic over bruises and cuts. I mean, Mitchie's got a couple of cuts now because of a knife and he's showing them off and it's like, whatever. She's not a girly girl. But there was this video that Mitchie was showing us and he was so proud of this video because him and his mate, JJ, I was going to say, I won't dob him in, but JJ... Um, <laughs> took some video footage of them getting these incredible goals through the basketball hoops. And there was Mitch on the roof, bouncing the ball and headering it in and it getting it in and all that sort of thing. They want to kind of put it on YouTube and make millions of dollars or something. I don't know. But I'm looking at it going, man, that's awesome. My wife, who's, who's, who's not a girly girl, who's quite cool with, with so much that many women aren't, she's looking at it and she's getting nervous. I can see she's getting nervous. I mean, what's going on? She, they're on the roof. And I never even noticed I was on the roof. I just saw the goals. <laughs> I can't help but think God's design is so wonderful that a husband and wife can work together. But men, don't just leave the raising of your kids to your wife. Let them do some jobs around the house. Now, our kids have all got their jobs to do, and they've been doing them for a long time. 
Jordan's in, you know, she's our daughter, she's 13. But for many, many years, she gets up. This is what she does every morning. She gets up and she unpacks the dishwasher. She makes the beds. She packs the kids' lunches. And the reason we want them to do that is so that, one, they can be self-sufficient, but two, I don't want my kids wearing out my wife. Let them work. These precious little... Let them do the jobs. Let them work. It's not going to kill them. You don't have to do their washing. You don't have to do their ironing. You don't have to do their... You don't have to do all that stuff. Teach them at an early age to cook and fend for themselves. Otherwise, you're going to wear yourself out. And then when, when hubby wants to have some intimate time with you, you'll be too tired. And then it brings strain in the marriage. Because we have just been doing jobs for our kids that they should be doing themselves. BJ, who's five, and she's been doing this for years, when they finish the dinner, they pack up the dinner table. I'm not going to do that. And I'm certainly, I, 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 most nights I cook because we have barbecues. Kath prepares and sets it all up. There's no way I'm going to tidy up after our kids. And so BJ, who's five, she'll grab all the stuff and put it in the dishwasher. She knows what to do. And she's been doing that for a few years now. They're not as precious. They're not made of porcelain. They won't die if they put a dish away. Yeah, they might die if they don't put it away. Absolutely. The woman said that, not the man. Which brings me to my third point. Are you with me? You're coming with me on this journey. Risk is relative. Risk is relative. One man's risk is another man's easy. For example, if I got on a skateboard today, having not got on a skateboard for many, many years, the risk of me trying to do what Geordie Dwyer does is exponential. It may not be a risk for Geordie to do his ollies and his trip flips and his whatever they call them these days, but for me just to just do the basic, that, that's about all I've got right now. I'm working on it, but that's all I've got right now. Alternatively, public speaking is not a risk for me but could be for Geordie and many others in this room. When Jesus was in the storm in the boat, he was asleep. In other words, he was cool with it. The others were terrified, but he was cool with it. It wasn't a risk for him. He was, he was totally cool with it. I'm not nervous up here. I'm not sweating it up here. And Jesus wasn't sweating it in the boat. And Geordie Dwyer is not sweating it on a skateboard. One man's risk is another man's easy. Here's the thing I want you to catch. It's not my job to make every person in this room a public speaker. It's not Geordie's job to make everyone get on a skateboard. Sometimes the things we're passionate about, we want everyone to do. We had six people jump out of a plane and they want every one of you to jump out of a plane and that ain't happening. It's not my role to make every one of you a public speaker. It's not Geordie's role to make everyone an incredible skateboarder. It's not those that jumped out of a plane's role to make every one of us jump out of a plane. It is my role, however, to inspire you to take risks. Whatever those risks may be, whatever areas they may be, my role as a communicator as a public speaker is to inspire you to take risks which brings us to the question when should we take a risk 
And before I get into when, let me just say this firstly, that I don't think you should base risk on the element of fear. So if I'm afraid, I shouldn't do it. Or if it makes me afraid, I should do it. Fear alone is not a good indicator of whether you should take a risk or not. The possibility or the guarantee of success is not motivation to risk or not risk. Because Jesus said, go out, and he gave them no guarantee of success. So that in and of itself is not the measuring stick of when we should risk. Getting support from others should not be an indicator of whether or not we should risk. Jesus risked it all, but he didn't get a lot of support most of the time. I believe that risk must be based on the value of the goal. Risk must be based on the value of your goal. In other words, for me to run into an empty building that's on fire is not worth the risk. But if my child was in that same building that was on fire, it may be worth the risk. What changed the risk, the value of what was inside the building? The value of the goal determines whether or not we should risk. I was talking to someone just recently and a friend or family member of theirs is going to Nigeria for two years and they're going to earn so much money that they're going to pay off their house and be able to live in luxury and take the pressure off their family financially. That sounds good. Who can argue with that? This is the question I have. In two years... A lot can happen and a lot can change in a relationship. So whether or not you take the risk of going or not comes down to what do you value most. For me, it's a no-brainer. I could never do it because I value my marriage more than I value money. I would never take that risk. Two years away from my family and my wife, I'd never do it. I'd never do it. Because my love for my wife and my kids is far greater than a billion dollars. comes down to value. What do you value determines where you risk. See, for me, the fear of public speaking has been worth the risk. Now, what you need to know about me is that I wasn't always this competent, confident, amazing or magnificent when it comes to public speaking. (laughs) I was, quite possibly, one of the shyest people the world has ever seen. Growing up in school was torture for me, particularly on Monday mornings, because that was the time you had to do morning talks, which they call show and tell now. And I dreaded Monday mornings because it meant me standing in front of a class and having to say something when I already knew I was not going to say anything. I thought, you can beat me black and blue. Nothing is coming out of my mouth. 
And they used to torture me every Monday morning when I'd stand in front of the class, just stand there. And basically, they would get me to sit down once the laughing got too loud. That's my introduction to public speaking. I vowed I would never, ever, ever stand in front of people and do a speech. I remember as a young kid thinking, there's a day I'll probably get married and I know you've got to give a speech. I, I thought, man, I won't even get married if it means having to give a speech. I mean, that, that's the kind of shyness that I lived in. Coupling this shyness was a stirring in God and a growing that was taking place in my relationship with God. To do something. It wasn't specific, but just to do something. I was encouraged by others, and at times I was forced by others. I stepped out in faith, terrified. You've got to understand, I was terrified as to the thought of speaking in front of others. I remember when my pastor asked me to lead worship. That was terrifying because not only was it a public forum, but I was asked to sing and I don't sing. And I have no musical ability whatsoever. And my pastor said, Tony, I want you to do this. And in absolute terror, I did it. Never forget the first time I preached. It was the most forgetful moment of my life. Nothing great happened on my First preaching moment. All this being true, I stand here today and say all that pain and all the awkwardness and the terror and the fear, it's all worth it. When I look around this room and I look at what's been achieved and I look into the future and think what more can happen, For me, it's all worth it. So don't let fear or terror be the thing that stops you. Don't let a lack of support be the thing that stops you. Don't let the guarantee of success or the lack of guarantee of success be the thing that stops you. Let the goal be the value. And I'll do this again and again and again. Because to me, it's worth it. Fourthly, your race will determine your risk. In other words, we don't live in a one-size-fits-all world. We all have our own race to run. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not the person next to you. See, every one of us has a social self. And that's where we learn manners and we learn right from wrong. And all those things are much needed. We need need polite kids. We need that social self. But then there's an essential self. And that's, that's the essence of who we are. The essence of who God created us to be. Uniquely different. 
Fingerprints are all uniquely different. And if we're not careful, our social self can smother the essential self. See, I think as parents, we're going to be very careful how we raise our kids. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not turn from it. This scripture is based upon a picture of of an archer looking for the right piece of wood to make the perfect bow. And he needs a piece of wood with a slight bend in it. A natural bend. Every one of us are bent a certain way. Every one of us has natural leanings and natural tendencies. And so do your kids. The problem is, we celebrate literacy over creativity. And so we did our little darlings and we straighten them up with year 12 matriculation. And by God, you better go to university. And you better be able to make enough money to support your mum and dad when they're older. I'm thinking doctor, lawyer. And God said, that's funny. I I created them to be a seamstress. Why I thank God for my dad, among other things, is that he loved me enough to recognise my natural leaning. And when everyone is saying, you can't leave school early, dad said, do it. Because this is what you're born for. And so at the age of 14, having just finished year 10, I left school. Never regretted a day of it in my life. I came alive. I don't do school environment well. It's not how I learn. I like to learn in the big world out there. And thank God for those that need education and and need schooling systems to get where you're going. This is not an anti-education or an anti-schooling message. But I cannot believe every one of you has to finish year 12 and has to do tertiary. I cannot believe that. But my dad was secure enough to say, I don't care what they say about my son. I don't think some of us are secure enough to be the parents we need to be because of how it reflects on us. I've never looked back a day in my life. I've never regretted it. Baz did year 12. Pete did year 12. They're bent differently. They're bent all out of shape. (laughs) And I thank God for the wisdom. Baz didn't do tertiary education. Pete did. There was wisdom for each child. Train a child in the way that they should go. What's the way? God's way. Not your way. Not your dreams. People say, why would you have dreams for your kids? God has dreams and I I want to find out what they are. I used to, as a young parent, think, how, how do you know what way your kids could go? It becomes really apparent when you, you start to see natural leanings. I look at Geordie, she's incredibly creative. That means she could be a hairdresser. She could be a pastry chef. She could be a beautician. She'd be a whole number of things. I don't think she's going to be a rocket scientist. She might surprise me. And if she is, I will be surprised. Not because she's not smart. 
This world is full of... This is, to quote my dad, if you don't like the language, blame him. This world is full of clever silly buggers. And I agree. People who know lots, but don't know how... They're social retards. Got incredible IQs, but have no idea how to relate to people. It's not a one-size-fits-all world. The amazing thing is that so many of you who have done tertiary education, so many of you in here are teachers, and you're all being led by a high school dropout. (laughs) Who's the fool now? And lastly, in closing, our ability to risk determines our future. See, the future of this church hinges on our ability to take risks. This church that you love, for the most part, would not exist today if we didn't take risks. Back in 1998, when we looked at leasing a property, the bank wanted guarantees. They wanted security. They always do. We didn't have that kind of money. Not as a church. But I did have a home that I owned and we said to the banks will my home and Pete's home suffice will you be secure enough they said we'll be secure enough so our homes go on the line with no guarantee that anyone's going to come that's a risk but in the context of the value of what we're doing it's all worth it The value of this meeting is it's all worth it. We paid that building off up there and then we moved into here. They wanted security again. Said, well, we've got a home. Pete's got a home. And we're in here today. Oh, this building's great. We wouldn't have this building if it wasn't for my home. Pete's home and others. And on top of that, you have to listen to people say, oh, Tony's ripping the money. You have to listen to stupidity. And I still say, it's all worth it. It's still worth it. Honestly, you could all leave and we just, we'll just start over again. We might have to rent a home. We'd never have a home. Still worth it. Jesus didn't die with anything. Paul didn't die with anything other than a legacy. I'd rather leave a legacy than have 10 homes. We do a little event called The Bloke. And the Christian community, are like, ah, did you say beer in church? No, I said beer and boxing. If you're going to tick religious people off, you might as well go the whole way, I say. And I know we've got people in the city watching. And this is, this is, how I, this, this, this is my risk assessment for that event. What's the worst thing that can happen? That's where it's got to start. We do the event. 
What's the worst thing that can happen? There's a whole heap of blokes that get intoxicated and due to watching the boxing, they get agitated and an all-in drunken brawl breaks out. And I thought about it. Could I live with that? Yep. It'll be messy. We'll probably have to get new carpet. We'll have, we'll have egg on our face. But I'd rather be known as a church that had a drunken all-in brawl than this safe, namby-pamby, pathetic thing we call religion. I'm tired of it. There's no life in it. There's no life. We wanted to go down Salisbury and just cook some food for some homeless people. That's all we want to do. Oh, H&S stepped in. We can't do that. It's pathetic. Because someone might get burnt. Yeah, someone might actually get fed too. Just a thought. Just a weird thought. Someone might get some food in their belly and actually be a little bit happier. And even if they got burnt, I think they'd still prefer burnt and food. I say burn them and feed them. That's what I say. (laughs) Come on, musicians, come up here. It's a good word, huh? But you know what's going to stop you doing this? Fear. If you're afraid, don't deny it. Embrace your fear. And do whatever it is you need to do. Scared stiff. First time I ever led worship, I was scared stiff. I was so bent out of shape that I would be asked to do that. I I, I read the whole meeting wrong. I thought our pastor, Paul Benithan, the dear man who preached for us last year, I thought he was trying to set me up for a fail. I thought he saw something in my life and thought, this young, arrogant upstart, he needs some humbling. This is is how I went into the meeting. He's trying to humble me. He knows I can't sing. He knows I haven't got any musical prowess or ability whatsoever, and he's getting me to lead worship. He's trying to humble me. So I went in afraid and annoyed. And there's a little bit of rejection in there too, I think. And I thought, stuff it, I'm going to show them. We're going to do this. And I don't know what happened. I just, I just went for it. I think it was just pure adrenaline. But I did it. And you've got to do it. I can't help but think, after all Jesus has done for us, that we wouldn't take risks for him. Yeah. Surely it comes out of what we value most. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.